This is the IEEE USA Insight Podcast, Episode 15, a monthly program featuring news, information, and updates from IEEE USA headquarters in Washington, D.C. And now your host, Chris McMains. Thank you, listeners, for joining us today. I hope your summer is going well. Let's get started with some news on the humanitarian front. At the request of the Red Cross, IEEE USA's mobile outreach vehicle, MOVE for short, was recently deployed to West Virginia to assist with flood recovery efforts. The disaster, which left 26 people dead and thousands homeless, was one of the worst in state history. With power out in many areas, MOVE's 10-kilowatt generator was able to fill a void by providing phone and Internet communications whenever power was down. The truck's portable power banks kept Red Cross volunteers connected, providing essential services. The vehicle, which has an onboard satellite, was also able to provide relief workers with phone and online communications. Even FEMA stopped by to gain Internet access. IEEE USA volunteers arrived in West Virginia on June 25th and stayed in the Charleston area for two weeks. It was MOVE's first disaster relief deployment. Program Director Mary Ellen Randall called the mission a resounding success. If you're interested in donating to the MOVE program or becoming a volunteer, search for IEEE USA and MOVE Community Outreach. Now it's time for IEEE USA eBook Corner, highlighting new, free, and existing IEEE USA eBooks available to IEEE members. The 12th and latest volume in the award-winning IEEE USA Women in Engineering We eBook series, It's Not a Career Path, It's an Obstacle Course by Lisa Schodel, cuts across her career path in three male-dominated industries, defense, oil, and law. WeBook 12 reflects the author's pragmatism and sense of humor. Her work is brimming with anecdotes that explain why she made many of her career choices and the lessons she learned along the way. Today, Schodel is litigation counsel for a Chicago law firm, and she uses her electronics and environmental engineering training and skills to advise attorneys within the practice. This IEEE senior member acknowledges that her distinctive background paved the way toward what ultimately became a happy and satisfying professional calling. Schodel is also passionate about drawing more talented young girls and women to engineering careers. Her experiences in several male-dominated industries demonstrate her commitment to professional excellence and can help the next generation of female engineers see the value of embracing challenges, even if it means struggling at first. In a chapter with a can't-miss-it title, How I Learned About Life at Gas Stations, she recalls many of her most memorable encounters while personally visiting and auditing every Shell Oil gas station in a two-state area twice a year. Schodel's insight about being aware of your communication style is helpful advice for almost anyone either entering or already part of the workforce. Collect all 12 IEEE USA Women in Engineering eBooks now available at shop.ieeeusa.org. The member price for each volume is $7.99. Non-IEEE members can purchase them for $9.99. Four more volumes in the IEEE USA Women in Engineering eBook series will be published in 2017. And don't forget, by going to shop.ieeeusa.org, 
you can download your free ebooks for members. In the IEEE USA Insight Spotlight, we bring you close up to a newsmaker or public figure with a quick one-on-one interview. This month, Chris talks with Nate Ball. Nate is an engineer, entrepreneur, inventor, author, beatboxer, MC, and Design Squad Global TV host. His company, Atlas Devices of Charlestown, Massachusetts, makes powered ascenders. This machine enables military personnel and rescuers to reverse repel up and down high places to more easily transport items and save people. In this interview, Nate discusses the powered ascender and why he loves being an engineer. Well, Nate, thank you very much for joining me. I've been wanting to come up and see Atlas Devices, a company that you co-founded back in 2005. And uh, here I am finally here. It's very nice to be here. And uh, it looks like the company is doing well. How, how are things going? And could you kind of explain to people, Atlas Devices, what, what's your uh, main product? What, what's the uh, solution that you are offering to people? Yeah. Well, first of all, it's great to get to have you here. We've known each other for some time. And uh, you've, of course, gotten familiar with uh, me and some of my work, especially with the Power Descender. That's kind of one of our core products at Atlas. Uh, but it's especially fun for me to get to show you around the shop, and, and you can see uh, in a bit more detail what it is that we do. So overall, Atlas Devices is uh, committed to basically inventing the future of access and rescue technology. We make things that are incredibly hard to do with conventional means, much easier, much faster, and much safer. Uh, one big example is with one of our most uh, classic and well-known products, which is a powered ascender. It's kind of literally like a, a Batman tool that you'd see in the movies. Um, it's a, a very simple device you can use with climbing equipment and basically eliminate an entire team of people that would have to haul on a rope. So say you, Chris, are stuck on the side of a cliff. If we needed to call 911 and send in a, a fire department's technical rescue team, They'd probably have a whole team of people up at the top there. They would set up a, a rope safety system. One rescuer would rappel down to you, and then that team would have to haul you and the rescuer back up, you know, a load of maybe between 400 and 600 pounds. So it takes a lot of people and a lot of different pieces of equipment working together and a lot of time. And if you're injured on the side of that cliff, time is of the essence. One of our power descenders can replace that entire team of people. That rescuer only needs themselves and a good anchor point. They can set up a rope, uh, say, around a really big tree, use a remote control with the power to send up at the top to lower themselves down. They would grab onto you, pull the trigger, and zip right back up in just a matter of minutes. Mm -hmm. And I believe you were telling me it was you and a couple partners. You kind of came up with this idea as you were engineering students at MIT. Yeah, we did. So we were... uh, I was a senior, um, another co-finder was a senior, the other two were in grad school, so there were four of us. You know, engineers usually work in teams, and uh, we had identified a neat opportunity to build equipment that could help save lives in the field. It was actually the requests of some soldiers that were doing a lot of repelling tasks uh, in the mountains of Afghanistan. They said, hey, couldn't somebody replace this whole team of people with a little motorized box? And we thought, yeah, why not? We'd love to try to do that. And one of my... Uh, most exciting pieces of that competition was instead of just coming up with an idea, they would give you a little bit of prototype funding to actually build it and to be competitive uh, in that little competition. It actually had to work. So we set to work in the machine shop and 
brainstormed a bunch of ideas, tested a whole bunch of things that didn't work at all, you know, late at night in the, in the most classic ways. Um, and ultimately, we were successful. We, we did a, a good demonstration with a prototype that actually climbed a rope really fast. Uh, that first one probably went about seven feet per second. And I still remember what it felt like to pull that trigger, the, the number of butterflies in my stomach at the time. Like, this thing had to work. We were testing it on the morning of the competition. And to pull that trigger and then suddenly go zipping up into the air, it was just the coolest feeling ever. It, it literally felt like flying. And after the competition, we said to ourselves, we should try to commercialize this. We know that there are people out there that want this. Let's try to do it. And uh, eventually we were able to get our first order from the government, sent a number of systems overseas where they were helpful for many people and started saving some lives. And uh, we just kept on pushing the business from there. And you've got all um, major branches of the military are using your uh, technology? Yes, so we do support all four branches of the U.S. military. We also have uh, customers in the Coast Guard, and a, an exciting new application there is that um, they're starting to use our power to senders as a backup capability for their hoist. So if you're out doing a rescue someplace and, and an issue happens with hoist, which can happen from time to time, uh, in the existing scenario, they basically have to fly that aircraft back to land and then fly out a second one that has a working hoist to continue the rescue. We provide a capability that basically packs up into a little bag. You can stuff it under the seat of the aircraft, and if an issue happens, you pop out the power to sender, clip it to the airframe, drop the ropes, pull the trigger, and your rescue can continue. Um, so it's exciting for us. Uh, we're also beginning to do some work with fire departments around the country. And uh, actually, there's a lot of international business growing for us as well, both with the, uh, the military rescue counterparts uh, internationally that uh, do similar tasks to, to our people over here, and uh, a number of analogous customers. So... We're still largely defense-focused. That's kind of been our, our history so far. But we're tremendously excited about the life-saving applications and productivity-enhancing applications that our technologies have, whether it's you know a tech rescue team in a, in a fire department or even tower climbers have good applications for you know, just being able to pull a trigger instead of climb 1,000 feet up a ladder to do maintenance on some tower. It's, uh, and speaking of the tower uh, capability... You were telling me that you're now starting to do some work uh, with, like, electric utilities, uh, transmission lines, the repair of, uh, of, of, of transmission uh, supports and everything? Yeah, so the applications for the utility industry for transmission distribution are, are quite exciting for us. Um, some of the challenges they face are, one is actually some OSHA regulations that recently changed. Now all people climbing towers have to be 100% attached. Um, there's kind of a classic challenge that both our, our defense users and utility workers face, which is how do you get the first person up to the top who can then set fixed lines for other people to have safe ascent, whether it's you know under power or uh, just a, a fall arrest. So earlier you used to be able to climb free and then clip in once you got to the top. Now you have to be attached 100% of the way up, and so that presents some logistical challenges, which we're actually finding we can apply some of our know-how to uh, that we learned uh, for defense applications. So whether it's hook and climb, where you actually stick a, a big hook on the end and um, get your fixed overhead anchor point in place ahead of time, or using uh, an actual grappling hook launcher and power to sender, um, that kit has real-life applications in utility work and for tower climbing. Uh, we have the ability to set an anchor point, you know, 100 feet overhead, solid 10 stories, which will get you up many uh, distribution towers, and simply by pulling a trigger, now you can zip to the top. 
And not only does that save time, but importantly, having a power to send her along can also let you use a much smaller team of people. Uh, we're finding that in the utility industry, rope access is becoming uh, a pretty exciting method to be able to do bare hand work, which lets you work, of course, uh, on lines that are energized. You know, if you're working on some major transmission lines that are supplying half of a major city, you can't exactly just turn those off whenever you want. And so, uh, you know, you can work on it while it's energized, but it requires specialized uh, technique, specialized training, and of course, specialized equipment. And so your average bucket truck that you could do that bare hand work with safely is not very cheap. And importantly, you also can't take it everywhere you want to go. If you're trying to service uh, some remote power lines, the roads may not be suitable to get that equipment out there. So if your next best option is helicopter services, uh, you know, that's pretty expensive too. And so rope access uh, techniques and, and equipment uh, become a pretty compelling solution. And we are in a position to augment that solution even further, which we find very exciting. And isn't that primarily what engineers do? You either see a problem or somebody comes to you, expresses a challenge, a problem they're having, and it's up to the engineer to come up with a solution so that that challenge can be overcome and people can live a, a better life or a safer life or we can have more reliable electricity, whatever. Yes, all of the above. You know, that's, that's what I love about this job. You know, we, we engineers solve problems. We improve life. We make life easier, safer, more efficient, make jobs more effective. I mean, there's almost nothing more satisfying than that. And uh, that's one of the, the messages that I've found you know, profoundly fulfilling to, to help spread as widely as I can uh, with young people as well through a lot of the outreach work that I've done. Um, you know, I, I, I love what I do. It's just I can hardly imagine anything more fun than making stuff that helps people. It's just the coolest thing ever. And, you know, I feel very fortunate to have gotten the chance to um, help spread the message of how great that can be through a couple of different mediums. One is uh, through the show Design Squad, which I've, you know, was part of the development of almost 12 years ago now and has been broadcast nationally on PBS for a number of years. We're now available through the PBS Kids app. And uh, Design Squad and Design Squad Global are all about uh, the real-life applications of engineering that help people out in the world and Importantly, also the message that uh, young people can engage in engineering activities right now. And uh, there are ways that you can use your skills that you already have to make a difference in the world. And if you find that a fulfilling thing to do, engineering can be an incredible career path to pursue. And I know even, even myself, who's never taken any engineering course, if I'm uh, stumped with some problem around the house and I'll say, okay, what, you know, think like an engineer. What would an engineer do? Yes, the first two, three things you tried didn't work, but there is a solution. Keep looking for that solution. And you, 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 if, you, if you stick with it, I think that's one of the main things engineering teaches you. Mm -hmm. You can't give up, which is, of course, uh, one of the lessons of athletics. And uh, you were a track athlete in college, correct? <laughs> yeah, I was. Yeah, I think uh, perseverance is a life lesson. And being willing to come back again and again, continually improving based on what you learned, it's just a, it's a core life skill. You naturally uh, will pick that up and in some cases have that drilled into you in an engineering education. And, you know, as you alluded to, being able to methodically approach a problem and solve it, that is just a phenomenally empowering skill, no matter what it is that you're doing. I mean, everybody has challenges they've got to 
you know, engage their technical knowledge uh, with to solve, whether it's like starting a business, I mean, learning the ins and outs of, of running a company, engineering is a phenomenally useful skill set to have in a business setting, or just troubleshooting your Gmail settings on your iPhone. I mean, being able to methodically solve a problem and anticipate outcomes is so empowering. Um, and it's useful for sports too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, having some technical understanding is uh, useful all over the place. You know, it's uh, just getting into the physics of anything people are into baseball, you know, learning about the physics of the sweet spot on a bat. Mm -hmm. So cool. You know, I happen to be a pole vaulter myself and there's a lot of uh, physics understanding that goes a very long way to understanding that, that dynamic system, which is super fun because you get to be a part of it. I mean, you're, you're running down a runway, planting this fiberglass or carbon fiber pole into the, into the ground and then flinging your entire body up in the air as high as possible. There's a lot to that. And, uh, you know, I, I went to uh, MIT where there's a lot of people that have a pretty good understanding of physics. And we've actually, you know, we're Division three schools, so it's not, not the highest levels, but we've always been nationally competitive as pole vaulters. And I think a good part of that is because uh, we have uh, language and skills and understanding that help uh, translate and understand the technique in a way that's, you know, it's quite hard. Uh, and being able to talk technically with people about why it's important that you run faster. <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, you're adding more energy to the system. It's one half MV squared. If you double your speed, you're quadrupling the amount of energy you're adding to the system. That's a big deal. And just being able to talk around that a little bit, you know, it's not all equations out on the track, but um, a little technical understanding of the world goes a long way. And all of athletics now is, is becoming more and more technologically uh, advanced and, and those who can capitalize on it, those are the teams and individuals that are getting that little edge because at the professional level, just that tiny edge might be the difference between victory and defeat. Absolutely. I think in, in sports and in life, um, a technical understanding and the ability to use that extra step uh, just puts you at a phenomenal advantage. You know, sometimes it's a little advantage. A lot of the time, it's a big one. Well, Nate, I've greatly appreciated being here, and uh, thank you for the tour of your facility and all these people that uh, it's nice to see you have, you've, uh, you're employing a lot of people at a lot of different levels and uh, a lot of manufacturing going on right here in the, in the United States. It's great to see. That's right. Thank you. Uh, we're proud of it, and uh, I'm proud to get to show it to you, Chris. Thank you. Okay. Thanks a lot, Nate. It's summer in the city here in the nation's capital, and it's time now for your IEEE USA conference calendar update. Conferences of note coming in 2016 are the IEEE International Conference on Connected Vehicles and Expo on the 12th through 16th of September in Seattle, Washington. The Digital Avionics Systems Conference on the 25th through 29th of September in Sacramento, California. And the IEEE International Conference on Wireless for Space and Extreme Environments on the 26th through 29th of September in Aachen, Germany. Be sure to get these informative and interesting conferences on your schedule. For more information on upcoming conferences, go to IEEEUSA.org conferences. Hope you can attend some of these exciting events. Remember, networking with your peers is one of your most valuable professional tools. Don't miss these great opportunities. 
I'm Georgia Stelluto for IEEE USA. That's all for today's podcast. I'm Chris McMains in Washington, wishing you and your family a wonderful day. This has been the IEEE USA Insight Podcast. Join us again next month as we take a look at news, information, and updates from IEEE USA. If you have feedback you'd like to share, please connect with us by commenting on our IEEE USA Insight article. Send us email at insightpodcast at IEEEUSA.org. Visit Facebook at facebook.com slash IEEEUSA or Twitter at IEEEUSA. I'm John Yaglenski. Thanks for tuning in.